0: If you have a Bible, we're in Romans 16 tonight. Uh, Romans 16 cannot wait to uh, dig into this chapter with you all. It's bittersweet because I've had such a good time preparing for and teaching through this book, and I look forward to uh, uh, getting into the next one. But it's been an incredible time uh, studying more than uh, a book of the Bible that's more than just some of its chapters. Uh, Romans is so much more than just 16 chapters that are kind of contained to themselves. Uh, Romans, uh, full of many different topics, theological, uh, important topics. Uh, but as we've seen that we've cross-referenced Romans from all over the Bible. We've pulled Old Testament and New Testament examples. We've seen how Paul quotes so many other books of the Bible. Uh, Truly, Romans is a crossroads. Uh, It is an intersection of the entire Bible and of all the Bible is about, uh, the redemption story. Uh, And and that's the reason why we titled this series and this study Crossroads. Of course, the the pun on the word cross. And we always heard growing up that uh, there was a Roman's road that leads us to Jesus. And of course, that is an appropriate way to understand Romans from chapter 1 on through chapters 3 and 5 and and 8. There is a clear road to Jesus and a clear pathway out of sin into Christ. And we've even studied uh, not just to get saved, but what to do once we are saved. So Crossroads was a title that we come up with because we believe it is an intersection, not just of what the Bible talks about, but what our lives are all uh, about. Uh, We've seen how Romans uh, fulfills what was predicted in the Old Testament, and we've seen how it fleshes out what was revealed in the New Testament, and it makes sense of God's plan for the ages by way of the cross. So if there is one central theme of Romans. It is the cross of Jesus and what that has done for not just you and me individually, but humanity as a whole. Uh, From an aerial view, from a few thousand feet up. Uh, The cross is the foundation of Romans. Uh, It fulfills the Old Testament demand that we need atonement for our sins, uh, and and it also restores creation back to where God always intended it to be, uh, united with him. And through the cross of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, uh, we can find our way back to God and find life in God as it was always meant to be. So uh, in an attempt to fully understand it all, uh, we have studied in-depth the topics that Romans has provided us. So we began talking about condemnation. We talked about justification by faith. We talked about what it means to be united to Christ and what it means to be one with Christ. And we've spent the last month or so on sanctification. And maybe there's one more uh, key word that we'll unpack tonight. Uh, We'll see what we find in God's word. Uh, But we've talked about who we are apart from Jesus and who we can become in Christ. and from our faith initially to our progressive following Jesus and our progressive growth in Christ. We've, you know, followed it from the beginning all the way uh, as we Intend on growing in our faith. So we've heard Paul's passion. We've seen Paul's passion for the church, his desire to continue to be the greatest advocate until kingdom comes. We've heard him talk about how he is so passionate about reaching the Jews that he was, of course, a part of, how he was passionate about getting to the ends of the earth. We read that last week. Uh, And along the way, We've learned how the church is the ace of God's sleeve to overcome every barrier that has been established by fallen man, that God's strategy to overcome all the sinful things that have propped up on this earth is to use the church to break down those walls, to break down those barriers. The church is his vehicle to overcome all the division that has taken over the world because of how naturally at odds uh, human nature uh, humans are with one another, the church shows us how we might can re, uh, be reestablished in community and work together until the kingdom comes. So uh, the church places us all in Christ alongside one another and forces us to look away from ourselves as we behold Jesus, we see his image reflecting back at us. So that's what we've spent the last month talking about, a sanctification, how we are now in Christ and we see his image in those around us and we are compelled to put them first, to put each other first that we might would continue to signal to the world that something different has come and something brand new has begun and we are building towards something that will last forever. So Romans has been a very theologically heavy book, but it's also given us plenty of practical teaching, especially the last couple of chapters, uh, showing, us has, showing us as how our beliefs change, our behavior also changes, our relationship with God changes how we relate to one. Another, so that full uh, realization of salvation. So, without question, question Romans is a top shelf book for any Christian. You know, they're, the gospels—they're always very important. But if you want to put, a, a, if you want to say, "Hey, the gospels are one book written in four different ways," right behind the gospels, uh, I think, as, in terms of importance, is the book of Romans, and, and maybe more so in a way that it practically shows us how to live out our faith. Uh, Romans has taught us uh, what salvation has done for us. And it has taught us what we should do with our salvation. So Romans 1 through 8 is, hey, here's what salvation has done for you. And it's done a pretty incredible thing for us. Romans 12 through 15 has taught us what we should do with our salvation. And if there's any doubt... Uh, just reread it and reread it and reread it and get that fresh uh, revelation from God. There's no way we walk out of the Book of Romans without a renewed appreciation for God's Word as a whole. Uh, we've seen how it so cohesively br- uh, comes together and how Romans kind of pieces us all together around and under the name and cause of Jesus. And it showed us uh, showed us how the cross has made a way for us to return to God and remain. With God, Romans is not just about getting us to pray a single one-time prayer. It's about bringing us into a relationship with Jesus and keeping us in a relationship, dynamic relationship with Jesus. Uh, So, we are eternally thankful for this book. It will forever be one that we return to for fresh insight and fresh inspiration on many occasions going forward. So, do not worry. If you missed a chapter or you would like to hear more from a chapter, I'm sure we'll cover more from it in the future. But alas, we're not done yet, we have one chapter left. To benefit from and be blessed by tonight, it's much. It's a much different chapter Um, structurally. It's completely different, but substantially, substance-wise, it's obviously a continuation of the sanctification section. So in Romans 16, uh, Paul literally is going to sign off on the whole letter. Uh, He's going to take some time to think some very important people, very special people to him who have made a difference in his ministry and that have aided him in his influence over the Roman church. And again, Paul told us last time that he wants to visit Rome. He's writing this letter in anticipation of getting there to minister to the people in person. But he's, along the way, he's been aided and assisted by a lot a lot of people. And he also has heard of a lot of people who have already done a work in Rome and have contributed to the church there that is coming up and it is being built up. So Paul has a lot of people to think, people that we've probably never heard of before, maybe a few that we might know, but most of these people are completely strange to us. Uh, we've, uh, we're we about to read and hear a list of names that include many, many people that are not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, whom we know very little about, who Paul tells us very little about, uh, except for the fact they are celebrated in this chapter, and and I want to bring your attention to this tonight, this is so important, that in this chapter, there is a select group of people who are immortalized, and they are enshrined with eternal fame. We may know nothing about them, but this chapter puts them on a, a level with some saints that we know a lot about, yet these folks are on that same level, recognized with that same attention, given that same recognition. They are immortalized, as a part of the kingdom of God. We may not not know them from any other passage of the Bible, but their names can never be taken away or removed from this chapter of the Bible. Their legacy is forever settled in heaven and will forever be remembered in heaven. Their earthly flame may have never been very bright and it may have burned out long ago, but their heavenly flame is still burning bright. And I think that's a pretty powerful message right there, don't you? Their earthly flame may have burnt out a long time ago and it may have been pretty dim compared to a lot of other people, but their heavenly flame is as bright as one of the stars in the heavens. I, I want to read this list because if Paul felt them worth shouting, shouting out, they deserve to be read out loud to this day even if there isn't much exposition within their name. Uh, I will say this though, uh, you know, years ago, I heard someone say regarding Numbers, Chronicles, and some of the other books of the Bible with lengthy lengthy list of names. Uh, it was my tendency, and, and I'm sure none of you have ever, have ever done this, but it was my tendency when I would come up to a chapter with a lot of names in it to just kind of skim over the names and make sure there wasn't anything really cool or important in there. Oh, there's a, you know, we, we've we all read the prayer of Jabez, right? Or the prayer of Jabez, but that's tough away in a chapter full of names right but if we hadn't ever read the chapter we wouldn't get that special prayer but the point of it is a lot of us open up the numbers the first 12 chapters we open up to chronicles the most of the book and we're thinking hey I don't really need to read this there's just names what's really important about a list of names but someone a long time ago told me I can't remember who it was and they might have been quoting somebody themselves uh, but the way they put it to me was um, if that was your name it would mean something to you so I think it's important that we pay attention to the names that are mentioned in God's word because they may not be our names but if they were our names or if they were someone that we knew related to and thought a lot about we would think wow that's pretty cool that their name is immortalized in God's word. We could only dream of such right? Right? So I want to give these names their due. Uh, Excuse me if there's some that uh, are a little bit difficult to pronounce, uh, even with knowing that the the original Greek, it doesn't always make it easy to translate that to English. Uh, But uh, let's give these names their due because, believe me, they're not just heroes of the past, but they are saints in eternity. As we read them out tonight, one day we'll get to meet them for ourselves. So Romans 16, 1 1 through 16 is our initial read. I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centuria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saint and assist her in whatever business she has need of. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also." Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved uh, Epidinus, who is the first fruits of Acacia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet... Andronicus and Juania, my countrymen and fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampilius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Statius, my beloved. Greet Apellus, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphonina and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Greet Ascentritus and Philegan, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philogus and Julia, Nereus. And his sister Olympus and all the saints who are with them, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. So when he's saying greet, he's not saying hey they're about to visit you. He's saying hey you should thank them, write them a card. Give couldn't give them a call back then, but recognize them and memorialize them and be thankful for them. And this is Paul's way of saying hey I want to give a shout out to some people. And that's a pretty lengthy list of, of shout outs that he's given. So maybe um, I'm thinking at most, I'm guessing that there are four names that stand out to, to to you. Now, you may say, well, I know more, I recognize more than four. But I think most of us would say there's four names that might stand out or we may think we know from other places in the Bible. Um, I think Priscilla and Aquila, uh, we have read about them in Acts. They were uh, they were uh, Jews in Rome there were Christians that were in Rome they were exiled from Rome and they uh, met Paul on the way to Corinth in Acts 18 uh, they were a, a couple that were ministering to the uh, to the church and were help helping build the church up uh, and were very faithful to the Gentiles so we've heard about them uh, then we, we see in verse 6 there's a mention of a Mary now that could be anybody just to be honest um, uh, Mary or Miriam was a very popular Jewish name in the first century or really in the in the in the Jewish world at that time, uh, named after Moses' sister Miriam, or Mary is the Greek way of, of, of saying it. So obviously um, there's a lot of prominent Marys in the New Testament. I, I don't think this is Jesus' mom. I don't think this is Mary Magdalene. If this is anybody that is mentioned elsewhere, it's probably the mother of John Mark. Uh, Acts 12, uh, it, the, the Bible tells us that uh, Mary was a supporter of the local church. Uh, her home was one of the bases of the local church. So it's it's possible that Mary, the mother of John Mark, is this Mary? But it's also possible this is a stranger and this is just another Mary. Uh, so again, uh, not to try to force something on that that isn't there. We don't know, but we can speculate. Uh, and, and probably if you're an eagle-eyed uh, student of the Bible, you might think you recognize uh, verse 13, Rufus, um, because if you've read the Gospels, you know that there is a there's a shout out to a guy named Rufus. Um, Mark chapter 15, uh, this is, they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexandra and Rufus to carry his cross. Uh, so Rufus is the son of Simon of Cyrene. Cyrene was a Roman province uh, across the Mediterranean. Mediterranean Sea in uh, Libya. So it's possible that Simon was some Roman, uh, was some, you know, part of some Roman, uh, uh, important uh, in the Roman province. Uh, It's possible that this is the same Rufus. We we don't know. Uh, But again, uh, Mark being a part of Paul's mission team, uh, there's a possibility that there is a connection uh, there. But even that might be a stretch. So as for the rest of these 23 other names we know literally nothing about them nothing about them other than their brief context that is given with each of their mention yet here they are getting a shout out in one of the most important books in the whole bible i'd say that makes them pretty special people and again, I think it carries a powerful spiritual application, uh, which we alluded to earlier, in, in that their names are recorded here. It symbolizes their being immortalized and enshrined in the records of heaven, enshrined in the kingdom of God. So I think an important and necessary chapter to compare this to is one that you're much more familiar with, filled with names you're much more familiar with and that is Hebrews chapter 11. Now, if you've ever read Hebrews 11, you'll know that it's often referred to as the hall of faith or the hall of fame of faith. Now, in Hebrews 11, there are some uh, pretty famous saints, which is why you have a hall of fame for famous people. Uh, there are pretty famous people mentioned in Hebrews 11, uh, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, the the, the judges, Gideon and, and other Samson, uh, there's David and some of the prophets. So uh, Hebrews 11 is the who's who of the Bible. These are the people that help build towards the coming of christ uh, the differences in hebrews 11's list of names in romans 16's list of name is pretty obvious but i think those two lists share something in common both recognize and immortalize those who put the kingdom of god first whose legacies speak to what they did for jesus more than what they did for themselves now this is so important just think about think back to the day of uh, when Paul was writing this if you would have been alive in the first century world, who would have been the who's who of that world? It would have been people like Caesar Augustus or Julius Caesar, his father, or Caesar Tiberius or Caesar Nero. These were the emperors of the world. It would be the family of Herod. It would be the, the people in the high priest family, right? It would be the people that we hear mentioned in the Bible, but they are footnotes to the stories that we're talking about 2000 years later. I mean, people named their dog Caesar, but they named their kids after the apostles, right? Nobody names their kids after the people that were rich and powerful and famous in the ancient world. We name animals after them because we know, hey, they're not going to live forever. Not a big deal. Let's, let's name a dog Caesar. That's a fun name for a dog. But we name children after the heroes of our faith. You see the significance there, right? That these people that were nobodies in their world, people that were forgotten about by their secular in, in their you know, culture, we celebrate as famous but even in the kingdom of god there are those who seem to be more successful than others yet in romans 16 people that we may never know anything else about they are given equal recognition to some of the other heroes of our faith we all know about abraham and moses we know little about phoebe and about amphilius and many others of these 20 some odd names but i want to make it clear to us tonight just because we may not know what they did doesn't mean we are impacted by what they did. Just because you don't know what somebody has done for the kingdom of God doesn't mean you have not been impacted by what they have done for the kingdom of God. Paul is telling us, hey, y'all know me but let me tell you about some of the people who supported me, right? Let me tell you about the people who have held my arms up when I was weak, who prayed for me when I was struggling, who donated to me when I was without. Let me tell you about the people who helped me get this message across the line to you. I think Romans 16 is monumental text for that very reason, because every local church is full of people that often don't get the recognition that other people get, right? And of course, in the world of ministry, there are preachers who get a lot of recognition. There's other people who maybe don't get that recognition. And it can be a discouraging thing when some people or some places seem to be getting more attention. But let Romans 16 encourage you that even behind every hero are dozens of servants in porters, right? I mean, nobody remembers that it was Andrew who introduced Peter to Jesus, right? Nobody remembers it was a little boy who gave the fish to Philip and, 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 who donut, who, and Andrew who gave it to Jesus to spread the 5,000, uh, to the feed the 5,000, right? Behind the super saints are people who are helping hold up their arms. I, I think Hebrews 11 correlates to some of the heroes in our church history right? Everybody knows about, or you've heard about, if you take a Bible history class or a church history class, you'll hear about people like Augustine from the third or fourth century. Uh, You'll hear about Luther and Calvin, and we'll talk about Billy Graham and whoever your favorite preacher is in contemporary world, right? But behind all those great saints are people like Phoebe and people like, uh, uh, you know, Urbanus and people like Herodian and people like Rufus. Behind every Paul is somebody that might be listed in this name. Behind every pastor are servants in the church behind every Sunday school teacher are class members that are there to support them behind everybody that may get the attention are dozens of people that are doing as much work behind the scenes. Romans 16 is all the people who are alongside and under those that may be on the front lines. Romans 16 is a reminder that the that their flame burns as bright as the other's Romans 16 tells us that the lives that these people lived was unto eternal gain and eternal glory. I want you to turn back with me, if you would, to Romans 8. And I want you to, want to look at a passage that everybody has read a hundred times, but it kind of summarizes the work God wants to do in a Christian, how he's taken us out of sin and put us into Christ and how it changes our story forever. But I want you to look at Romans 8, uh, 28 through 30, and I think there's something here that ties into what Romans 16 is trying to get across. So we all know Romans 8:28. Paul says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, those who are the called according to his purpose. And he's talking about those that are in Christ and those that are working towards the kingdom, how we can have confidence that everything that we're doing is not in vain, but it's for the glory of God or for the purpose of God. And then he says, this is the work that God's doing in all of us. For whom he foreknew, as in he knew you before you ever put your faith in Christ, he predestined you to come to Christ. So God's working behind the scenes. He foreknew you, he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son, that you might be the firstborn among many brethren, as in that you might would come to Christ and be a picture of others that would come to Christ. So verse 30 summarizes it for us. Whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he skipped sanctification, but that's in there. Whom he justified, he also glorified. So we talked about the different stages of Christian life and a few more. A few of them are mentioned here, including the last one. And that is glorification. Glorification. Now, glorification speaks of the eternal work that God will do for us and in us in heaven. Now, most of the time you hear about glorification, you're thinking about, well, I'm not gonna hurt anymore. I'm not gonna be tempted by sin anymore. I'm gonna have a glorified body and I won't die. I mean, yeah, that's implied. That's part of being glorified. Uh, but uh, the, the really the, the idea of glorification speaks more to the fact that in Christ, if we have lived for Christ, our stories do not end when our lives on earth end. We will pass away, but our legacies are remembered forever. Glorification speaks of the fact that our leg- speaks of our legacy's eternal quality. As when we, get, when we get to heaven and we are entering into eternity and all that entails, when we stand before Jesus and we are about to live our, you know, embrace our eternal life, glorification refers to what did we bring with us? Not material things. But what did we do on earth that now translates into our eternal fame? The idea of being glorified means that instead of our lives meaning nothing, eternally speaking, our lives have taken a meaning of significance that far exceeds what we could have settled for. That's what Jesus meant when he kept talking about, hey, I can't turn away from the moment that that, that God has brought me to. Uh, In in John 12, Jesus said, and, and I've zoomed in on the screen earlier for the for the little um, quiz, so I apologize. I didn't zoom back out far enough, but in John 12, Jesus says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come, which is to die, right? And he says, in this moment, Father, glorify your name. I'm not here for my own glory. I'm not here to make something of myself right now. I'm here to glorify my Father. I am trading temporary fame for eternal fame. I see the bigger picture. I see the greater reason why I've been sent. And I am focusing on that. And for you and I to really understand what it's about to live for Jesus, glorification reminds us that we are working towards eternity. And when we step into heaven, when we pass into heaven, only what we've done for Jesus Will last. Only everything else will be forgotten. Everything else will pass away. Nobody, nobody will remember who was the richest, who was the most successful, who was the most powerful. Nobody will remember their treasures and their trinkets. Everything that's temporary and empty of eternal value will be gone. So what will last? I think if we summarize it to the very basic or very, the, the, the most simplest uh, way of understanding it, what lasts are our relationships and our memberships. And, and what I mean by mem- relationships is the Bible says that our love for God is validated by our love for people. He said, if you love me, love your neighbor, love those who even hate you. What will last is how did we treat people in light of how God treated us? That's the entire New Testament ethic, right? Jesus has loved you, go and love other people. God has been good to you, go and be good for people. We are going to be judged by how did we treat people in light of how God treated us. Our relationships reflect how how we value God's love for us, how we act in the relationships God has put us in that will last forever that will be remembered forever that will be recognized forever that will be memorialized forever and also our memberships and what I mean by memberships is you have been made a member of the body of Christ You've been made a member of his church. You are a member of his kingdom. That's what will last forever. How did you serve as a member of his body, of his church, of his kingdom? No other memberships will matter, but the membership in the family, in the kingdom of God, that's what's gonna last forever. How did we leverage what God has given us for the relationships he's placed us in and the membership of his body that we have been so blessed with? But as far as stuff, as far as material things, temporary things, only that which we've leveraged for eternal glory will last. You know why these people are mentioned in Romans 16? Because they saw a bigger and brighter picture. We, nobody, else, nobody else is talking about Phoebe and Aquila and Priscilla and, and Mary and Andronicus and Juanita. Nobody else is talking about these people. They didn't do a bit of, made a, make a big diff, bit of difference in the world that, that was back then based on secular and based on earthly metrics. But for the kingdom of God in that concern, they're included in this list of thanks. That's a pretty big deal. And that's the kind of recognition that you and I want in eternity. You know, in the in the parables that Jesus taught, don't you don't you know this is the message that he preached again and again and again? How are you leveraging your life for eternity? I mean, people, it might be a broken record sometimes, but when you read the parables that Jesus told, I mean, he was talking about it all the time. And, and, it, and it always or almost always concerned money, but it wasn't just about money as in, hey, what's in your bank account, but the treasures you have and the things that you treasure, which, can, which is beyond just your possessions, but of course includes it. But Jesus told more parables about money and treasure than he did about hell, so clearly he was talking about something that was very important, right? Because that's the, way, that's the thing that distracts us from our eternal purpose or that robs us of our eternal purpose so much. In Luke 16, Jesus said, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails they may receive you into eternal dwellings. You know what that means? That means, hey, you've been given a a certain allotment of wealth and a certain abilities and and those things are unrighteous. Those things are temporary. Those things will fail. Notice when they fail, not if, but when because our strength will fail. Our treasures will corrupt. All of our earthly things will pass away. So Jesus says, while you have this life, you better use it to impact people for the kingdom of God, so that when you get to the kingdom of God, something will be remembered about your life and it won't all be forgotten. He told this, he said this in a few verses later. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? Which is, you think, well, I've already got riches. He says, no, you, you don't know what true riches are. If you have not been faithful in that which is another's, that's powerful. That's powerful that nothing that we have is, belongs to us. Oh, that offends some of us, because We have a lot, we've worked hard for it, right? Nothing that we have in our possession belongs to us right now, nothing. What does Jesus say? If you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Jesus says, you, you think you've got stuff? I've got stuff to give you in eternity, but you are so preoccupied by what, you, by what you think belongs to you that if you actually turn to me and said, hey, I want to use this for your glory, you might could begin to anticipate what I will give you. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that incredible? Might not be awesome by what we consider awesome, but it's sobering and it gets us to sit up a little straighter. You know why I preach this so much? Not because I want anything you have. Jesus didn't want any. Jesus never took money from people. If he had money, he wouldn't have been homeless and poor, right? He had nowhere to lay his head. Jesus wanted people to use their resources and treasures to help others. He didn't take it. But when we die, everything we spent on vanity will be missed opportunity. Jesus wasn't saying if we, it's wrong to enjoy life. He was just trying to teach us how we should really enjoy life. He was just trying to keep people from dying and having wasted a sure fire, a sure way to add eternal flame and eternal glory to their future. When we bring our lives to God, our treasures, our times, our service, the prosperity gospel has taught us that we bring stuff to God to get more back from him, but that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught that when we we bring it to God, we are putting fire on our eternal legacy, and that's why, that, that's the, the thing about this message and the thing about this chapter that reminds me and that compels me to bring even more to him. Because if I wanna be immortalized by, like Phoebe and Priscilla and Aquila and Mary and Andronicus and Juania and Amphilus and Urbanus and Apellus and Herodian, if I wanna be immortalized like these people were, I'm gonna do what they did. We all know the parable of the rich fool. He was a fool because he built a barn for himself. But Jesus said, fool, this night your souls required of you. The things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is anyone who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. If we knew that our house was gonna burn down tonight, wouldn't we get as much out of it as possible before we went to bed? Right? If you knew that your house was gonna burn down, you would, or if you knew that the bank was all of a sudden gonna give your money away you would go withdraw it all and you would put it in a safe place if you knew that everything you have was going to be burnt up you would go get it and put it somewhere where it would not burn up the world is burning down did you know that no it's not the global warming stuff like the the actual world right is burning down everything in it right it won't last forever The world is perishing. Everything of this world will be lost. If we want it to matter, we will send it ahead. We'll leverage it for the kingdom that's going to last forever. That is why these that are mentioned in Romans 16, because they sent everything they had ahead. It begs the question, are we doing the same? Listen, you know why the Bible talks about percentage giving and not how much you give? Because it's about how much of our lives, the portion that we give. The parable of the kingdom, There was the master gave some five, some two, some one, because it's all relative. It's all relative. But in every scenario, we are stewards of God's possessions from our souls, our talents, and our opportunities. And the Bible says of that parable, the man went on a journey. He entrusted to his servants his property. And we all know, how are they judged? How are they judged? The master said to one of them, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy. You thought that was joyful? wow. I'm so excited to overwhelm you with what actual joy is. So, what makes the difference, church? Why were these people included in this list of who's who? Because they were faithful. Not successful, not powerful, faithful. You may never be successful, you may never have power or great renown that some have and that some won't. But every single one of you can be faithful. And when we get to heaven, the difference in eternal fame and eternal glory and not is how faithful were we. 1 Corinthians 4 says, moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found Faithful. So let me ask you, how faithful are you being with the portion that God has given you? And how you serve as a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister, a husband or a wife, a father or a mother, an employee or a citizen, as a church member, how faithful are you in the place that God has put you? That's what every... Billy Graham and the local church pastor that nobody has ever heard about and never led a single person to Jesus, the same two people will be judged by this very metric. How faithful were you? Mega church pastor, local church pastor, Mega church servant, local church servant. Sunday school teacher of 100, Sunday school teacher of two. Usher that takes up an offering that never amounts to more than a few hundred dollars. Usher that helps put millions of dollars in the kingdom of God. Child in a youth group of five or 500. 500 worship team that sings in front of a whole crowd or just a few it is about how faithful are we whether you have the greatest job or one of the most difficult jobs whether you are in the the, a marriage or a family that has a lot of success or struggles just to get by it comes down to this fact how faithful are you with glorifying God and the place he puts you with the people he put you around you know how much pressure you can take off your shoulders if you quit trying to judge yourself by every other metric and begin to realize what matters is how faithful we are. And that's how we add eternal glory and fame to our future. If you want to add to your glory and to your fame and your legacy, if you want your name to be immortalized, be faithful. Be faithful. I mean, just consider the shout-outs that Paul gives. Phoebe. Phoebe is the first person he gives a mention to. She was a servant in her church. The Greek word there is deaconess, that she was doing as much as anybody in the church. She was serving her church better than anybody else in her church. We, have ne- we never hear about Centria in any other part of the New Testament. Yet the one servant we hear about was Phoebe. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, what, what does it say in verse number four? They risk their own necks for the work of God. Do you hear that? They risk their necks for Jesus. We barely risk our wallet or our time for Jesus, right? They they were faithful to the fullest. They were faithful to the end. Andronicus and and Juania, they supported Paul so much, they were arrested with him that no doubt whenever Paul was being taken away, they must have said, hey, don't take him away. He's doing the work of God. And they were arrested with him for standing up for him. Again, we don't know their stories. We just know a little bit about them. But we know enough. You know why these people were willing to go to these great lengths for Paul and for the church at Rome and for the kingdom of God? You know why? Because they loved Jesus. I know that sounds simple, but they didn't just love Jesus. They loved him enough to do something for him. We may not know them, but God knew them. God remembers them. And heaven celebrates them out loud every single day. Can you, can you believe that? These names get read. I, I imagine they get read at least every, uh, every minute of the day. There's, there's, there's two billion people that you know, profess to be Christians. And let's just say a billion people read their Bibles every day. Somebody's reading Romans 16 at least every other minute. And every other minute, somebody mentions Phoebe and Priscilla and Aquila and Andronicus and Wania and all these others. They love Jesus. Romans twelve eleven says this about the people of God in the last days. They conquered the enemy by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. You know what that really means is it's not that they defeated him, but they overcame him as in they weren't held back by his agenda that was trying to distract them. They were under the blood, they were in the word and they were so immersed in the, in the kingdom of God, they loved not their lives even unto death, which means they gave their lives up for Jesus. Until we have this kind of passion for Jesus, we all need to be on our faces before him, praying for him to change our hearts, to show us his glory and convince us before we waste our lives to give it all to him. I know a lot of our services have had have been echoing this similar theme lately, but sometimes the Bible just rhymes a lot more than usual. And I chalk that up to God tries to get our attention sometimes and brings out the same from his word. Most won't listen, but what matters is if you listen, if I listen. You see, you know, you know the portion God has given you. You know what being faithful in your field means. You know. I don't. I can give you illustrations all day long, but you know your portion, and you know the boundaries of your field. The question is, what are you doing with that portion and in that field that guarantees eternal glory? Before we go, let's hear, with, let's hear how Paul wraps up this remarkable book, verse 17. Now, I urge you, brethren, not note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly By smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. Paul had zero patience for those that saw the church as a social scene. Those that saw the church as just somewhere they could come and continue their own agenda. Paul says, hey, we're here to serve Jesus or we're not serving Jesus. So let's get on board. And those that don't want to get on board, he says, hey, I have no worries. I have no issues making a note of you and saying, hey, I love you. uh, But I'm not here to entertain anything like that. We see what our mission is. We see what our agenda is. We're not here to stir, cause divisions. We're here. We've been taught the doctrine of God. We've been rooted in the word of God. We know what our job is. Let's get to it. Verse 19, for your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning what is evil. The God of peace will crush Satan underfoot very shortly, under your feet very shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you Amen. Paul says, the enemy is about to be destroyed. Let's not contribute to his cause by taking down, that, that it will take down many that are lost, but let's keep on the mission field that we might say, see as many saved as possible from this world. Paul gives a few more shout outs. Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius and Jason, Sosipater, my countrymen greet you. I, Tertius, which is his amanuenser uh, who was writing this for Paul, who wrote this epistle, greets you in the Lord. Gaius, my host, and the host of all the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. And Quartus, my brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him, now I, I think that the reason why there's a verse after Paul says Amen is like every preacher. You, you think they're done, but they keep talking. Um, that's supposed to be a joke. But it's true. He says Amen three times in this passage, and he doesn't stop. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. So all that God has been doing funnels down to how obedient, how we are faithful to him. To God alone, wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. And this time he means it. Or he just ran out of paper. (laughs) No, the inspiration was done. I love that verse 25. What once was kept in secret has been fully disclosed to us. Anybody ever says, hey, there's more to the Bible? No, there's not. It's, It's been fully disclosed from Genesis to Revelation. But in Romans It's been fully disclosed from from moment of, of inspiration to salvation. Everything we need to know has been given to us, fully disclosed. What are we doing with what we've been given? Paul says, it's all funneled down to this moment. How obedient are we? So how can we not be obedient in the faith? How can we not live for eternal glory? We need not to contribute to the division in the world. We need to see, we need not see the church as an extension of what we want or we like, but see for for what it is, a community that reminds us and equips us for our mission. We don't have time to waste. The world and its lights are only getting dimmer, but there is a glorious kingdom on the horizon. And we've got the keys. So let's be faithful until the end. I, you know, I don't, you know, when, when, when I die, whenever it comes or whatever happens, I don't really care what gets said about me. The only thing that matters is was I, were we faithful to those that God put in our lives, to the job that God gave us, to the kingdom he saved us unto. How bright will our flame be in eternity? It all depends on how much we leverage our life for the one to come. So, Romans has been the story of what we were like in sin. In sin, we were condemned. In death, we will all be corrupted. But in Christ, we have been redeemed. In his life, we have gained an incredible opportunity. And we can gain an incorruptible reward. Everything you need to serve Jesus faithfully has been laid out in front of you, not by me, but by the book of Romans and by Paul. The question is what will you do with what you now know? How can we receive the same fame and attention that these listed in this book, this chapter, have been given? Just be faithful. It'll all work out in the end. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this incredible opportunity. Lord, it's, so, it's just an honor of me to, to hold the Bible and to have led a local church through a whole book of the Bible, along many other books of the Bible. Lord, there's so much that we could say about Romans and even Romans 16. There's so much more there. But Lord, I hope what... The goal tonight was, was to draw out that opportunity in front of us to live for your glory, to live for that eternal fame and to add to our eternal flame. Lord, God, thank you for including this snapshot of those that are immortalized and those that are celebrated to this day in heaven. And Lord, may we only accomplish a small amount compared to them. And we all can if we just are faithful in the field you've put us in with the portion you've given us, with the relationships we have and the membership of your body that we've been given. Lord, would you make us faithful and would you show us the immeasurable reward that comes at the end of a life lived in honor and service and dedication to Jesus Christ. Like the old poem said, Only that which is done for Christ will last. Lord, may we dedicate it all to him in Jesus' name. Amen.